0: Quiet,
1: I'm broadcasting. Hello, you're listening to So There I Was. It's how all great aviation tales begin. This is episode 79. With due regard, you're cleared.
0: What? (laughs) It means operate at your own risk or peril. For
1: That's the air traffic controller going, I ain't taking the hit for this one when you knuckleheads. (laughs) (laughs) Buy it. Oh Terrifying. my God! Well, Terrifying. apparently that's how the Coast Guard operates on semi-regular basis. So, yeah, we had sticks yeah. with us this week, and that was uh, it was a lot of fun to have him back as a guest instead of a guest host and talk about some of this stuff. But real quick, got a couple other things we do need to chat about. First of all, our sponsor this week is Babbel. They're online at babble.com slash so there I was for 55% off your language learning journey. Start it today. Be speaking in foreign language by the holidays. We'll talk more about that during the show. Also, we got a bunch of thank yous to get out because we have been negligent in thanking the people who have been throwing money into our pockets, Fig. Let's We've start got,
0: thanking them. Let's thank them.
1: Let's do it. Well, there's Leighton Says. Who? Diamond. yeah peter simon who says so simon says patrick miller light
0: and and yeah patrick light miller thank you both those guys
1: yeah, we've got a couple others. Donations on our site directly f- from last month. And in, in the, uh, I don't know if the site malfunctioned or your webmaster, yours truly malfunctioned. But I didn't get a notice until I was checking the bank records. And a gent by the name of Chris Adams sent us $50 back in September. He was an Army calf pilot back in the 80s. And we're going to chat with him about possibly coming on the show. So thank you, Chris. We very much appreciate it. Then another gent, David Olson. Former Marine Harrier pilot. Yeah, knows a lot of our uh, previous guests. Uh, he, he threw some money into our pocket too. So uh, that was another $50 this month. Thank you so much, David Olson. Deeply, deeply appreciate it. And then a gent by the name of Roger Falstaff, Pig, you have some uh, interesting story on this one.
0: Yeah, he goes by the family calls him Pedactor.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Roger Pedactor. Uh, my, my younger brother gave him that uh, handle way back in the day. It, I, I, it's a long story. It comes from the movie The Alien or something. But uh, Okay. So, Pedactor, okay. Roger Pedactor Volstov. Thank you, Roger.
1: Indeed. He's a new division leader on our Patreon. It's so there it uh, US slash Patreon. So, we appreciate that. It, it, kind of an interesting story, though, about how he heard about our show, but he was already a listener.
0: Yeah, his. His uh, certified flight instructor, he's working on his instrument rating currently, and his certified flight instructor says, hey, you might be interested in this podcast. It's called So There I Was. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, what a small world, right?
1: Right. Aviation is an extremely small world. So, And if you know some of the folks around us and you want to put them in touch with us, write to us. Sticks at sothereiwas.us, fig at sothereiwas.us, and repeat at sothereiwas.us. We also want to just quickly mention the merch store is up. So there I was. That yes slash merch. We've got a hoodie up just in time for winter. I've got one now with the banner on the back. I like the black one with the banner on the back. The other colors I don't like so much with the banner on the back, but that's me personally. You can get them all. And I also made another hoodie with no banner on the back and just the logo on the front. If you want one of those in all the various colors that we have blue and red and Yada, yada. You know, you know your colors, yeah. don't you, folks? Yeah. A <laughs> couple other quick things. We've got the quiz tab on our website. So there was.us. Look for the quiz at the top. Take our quiz. See what you know. I only have four questions up there right now about past shows, but send me in questions that I can put up there. Let's see. What else was there? Oh, review. How about a five-star review? I've made it easy for you to give us a review. So there it was.us oh, slash review. So easy. Yeah. So easy. So now you don't have to go to the app and scroll down and find the show and turn about and do the hokey pokey just to give us a review. We've tried to make it easy for you. So we would appreciate yeah. that if you would do that and, and share the show.
0: Send us your photos. Send us your photos, right? One of our, one of our, one of our listeners, Earl McCoy, said, an awesome photo. Yep. Of his boys dressed as blue angels, and they're standing on the flight line, just like they're yeah. trying to go flying. It looks yeah. really awesome.
1: It does look <laughs> awesome. We're going to put that up on Facebook.com slash so there i was dot us it really looks amazing so yeah send us your photos tell us where you're listening and all that and that's uh, again from merle mccoy one of our patreon supporters we really appreciate it you may remember his dad ken mccoy was the story it's actually up on our website his dad jumped out of an a4 off the coast of hawaii back in the 60s as i recall so, but let's get back to the the star of the show this week sticks it was a great show it was short. I had to go to work, so we were, had to close the doors quickly. Yes,
0: and, you know, we cut him off, and he still had another three hours worth of stories to go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's got stories for days. He's got stories for years. In there. You know, he had a lifetime worth of experience in the Coast Guard flying helicopters, and, I mean, each one of those, every time he starts telling these stories, my blood gets... But, You know, my, blood, my veins get cold, my palms start sweating. They, you know, they're talking about being out over the water and, you know, 100 feet, low visibility.
1: Yeah, slowing down to 30 knots, not being able to see the boat still, and they, they can hear him. And one of them is like, yeah, so we went around and, and we climbed back up to 300 feet. And I'm like, oh my back God. Back
0: up to 300
1: <laughs> feet. Yeah, that's. What are that's you, nuts? Then it was, right. there, it was a, there's a very sad story in this one, so, so be aware. It may not be for younger listeners, a, a young man who didn't make it that he was out looking for. So that was, that was very sad. A couple others, he saved a life by not rescuing the guy, it turns out. And that was kind of <laughs> interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then the Amphicar, Amphicar <laughs> rescue out of the skull. Skull Kill River, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is yeah you know, very amusing. I I never even thought about some of this shit happening in real life, and it does. And he it happened to him. So holy cow!
1: Right, it's nuts. And then there's an amusing story at the end. We almost entitled this show "Hold the Antlers." You're going to have to go listen to the show to figure out why. But let me yeah. tell you. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> comes along with don't sit on the collective what do you say Yeah, <laughs> don't sit on it
0: don't, don't sit awesome. on them mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Booms. laughs> <laughs> all the yellers
0: oh we said too much we said too much already
1: we have so let's get out of the way here comes sticks yeah, thank enjoy who, uh, did that thanks a lot we really appreciated that i'm just kidding
0: no i there I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fine.
2: So there I was, at the numbers, runway 31, getting ready for departure. I call up Tower, and I tell them, Rescue 6534 is ready to go, ready for IFR departure to 060 or ACY 060100. And there's this long pause on the other end, and my tower, the tower controller, comes back with. Are you sure you want to do this? I look at my aircraft commander. She <laughs> nods and, say, yeah, we're good to go. And he he comes back with So, uh, Rescue 6534, with due regard, you're cleared as filed. No. <laughs> oh,
1: due regard. That's
2: terrible, and that's how
1: all the great aviation tales begin. Greetings, everybody. Repeat here, coming to you from Osaka tonight. They say it's Monday night here right now, but I don't see Monday night football, so I'm not entirely sure that it is. But uh, anyway, so where's my co-horse today?
0: Well, I am in Manuark, New Jersey, where where it is Monday morning. There you. I think that's why there hasn't been a football game yet.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. But
0: we yeah. we have with us Sticks for a repeat visit. I guess I should use a different term, shouldn't
1: I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A return visit. There we go. <laughs> for a, return for a return visit. Yeah. yeah. A return
2: visit. Yes, yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, so thanks so for welcome, having me. you know. welcome, so. Yes. I, I kind of feel like we're cheating because I've been working in the background, so it's it's not like it's been a challenge to get a new guest or anything, but, you know. Anyways, yeah, no, it's awesome to be back.
1: There you go. Well, this week, we're recording on a Monday morning this week, and that's that's largely due to me. I was out on a trip. I was supposed to be home Friday, and here I am literally halfway around the world. And I'm not going to get back until tomorrow night. So, thank you, Sticks, for for uh, squeezing us into your schedule and, and joining us. And uh, let let's get some more of those uh, Coast Guard tales out there. As the photo said on that you sent me, Elvis, if you're out there, we will find you. <laughs> <laughs> the Coast Guard's yeah. looking for you. So, so let's see.
2: Yeah,
0: go ahead. Go ahead, Fig. I was going to say, what, what what the hell happened with launching into zero zero? What what how, how did that? Yeah. Finish? What were you what, thinking? What, what so, kind of, whose idea was that?
2: Well, you know, we actually it, this was a really interesting case. So we had a it was a medevac case. They were probably about a little more than a hundred miles offshore from where we were, and but only forty so miles or so south of uh, Fire Island, New York, and severe case our case of severe excruciating back pain rated at about a like a 10 out of ten per the patient and so we talked with our flight surgeon, we went back and forth with this we're looking at the weather and we are quite literally at zero zero as I'm sitting on runway three one literally all I can see are the numbers three one and one centerline marker you know at the midline of the on the middle of the runway and and that's it I can't see tower tower can't see me. We are, this is, and I'm two months into my first tour as, as a Coast Guard, as a duty standing Coast Guard aviator. <laughs> so, you know, standard, uh, standard Coast Guard day, I guess. So, you know, we're launched out We're our clearances, we filed for basically a, a point offshore, which is kind of unique, most. Aviators aren't going to do that. So we took a, pick a radial and a DME and we say, okay, we're going to fly, file, you know, 3,000 feet and make our way to that, to that point. And we were in the goo the whole way. Um, (laughs) it, It was typical, it was early spring, you know, so we're looking at, you know, you got temperature and dew point right on top of each other. And you're, we're, we're, you know, so we, you know, take off, we actually go ahead and we put it up on the modes. The Dolphin was fantastic in terms of its ability to do, you know, it was a smart helicopter. So, you know, heading select, altitude hold, then go ahead and couple up nav. And what was kind of cool is we actually, for the first time in my Coast Guard career, we used a rendezvous. So we kept the boat underway, you know, with the got with our victim on board, And the, you know, so we kept them underway. We got their last known position, their course and their speed. And we plug that in to our FMS and then we're able to do a rendezvous. So we actually fly to a calculated point where we suspect they're going to be, which is, you know, it's the computer sort of spitting that out. And so we are, we get finally, it's a, I think it was about a 45 minute transit. You know, that, that was actually the easy part. Drop down to do what's called an ISVS or indicated airspeed, vertical speed, commanded descent from three thousand down to one thousand five hundred. So now we're down and getting down over the water. We're still about a couple miles out.
1: Tell me the weather's better out over the water.
2: Oh no, no, no. We're still
1: Oh you're in the clag the whole way then.
2: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, no, I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah, no, we're I, I got to walk you through the rest of this because <laughs> it it's not getting any better.
1: No sp- spoiler um, alert! He survived. He's here.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, yeah I, came, I came back. So you know, we continue with this letdown. We get finally we get down to about 300 feet over the water. You know, and that's sort of our our working altitude where, you know, we're now we're talking about, okay, we know what approach, we have a couple of different types of approaches that we can do to the water. First is we can do an IASVS letdown or continue that down to 50 feet, you know, which is just a, a commanded descent and command, you know, command back like, you know, we can set in like 50 feet or 50 knots on uh, airspeed. So we decide that that's going to be our first attempt. You know, so we're still following the track of the boat and where we're suspecting it's going to be. We're you know making our descent somewhere around seventy five to a hundred feet per minute, and you know we get down to where they should be, and we don't even see a wake from the boat you know we can i'm I'm actually flying the approach, so I'm the pilot flying with my aircraft commander as the uh safety pilot. And uh, we we basically don't break out. So yeah, now now we're- whose
1: whose job is it? Your pilot flying. So you're you're on the uh, instruments and the and the safety pilot's looking out, or vice versa. Yep.
2: Yeah. No, I'm on I'm on the instruments. I'm flying. Okay. Yeah. My uh, aircraft commander is working the you know the radios working. Also got the radar up. We can yeah. see see the boat on the radar, but we're not. You know, we still can't see them. So
1: it should be decided.
2: It should it should be there. We didn't even see a wake. That was the that was the thing that had us most concerned. So it okay. So we take a go around, climb back up, hit you know back up to 300 feet, and now we decide okay, we're going to try what's called a catch.
1: <laughs> Holy fig! Did you hear that? Back up to 300 feet. Yeah, ba-
2: yeah.
0: yeah. I caught you. Oh, <laughs> I know this is n- not nothing about this story is right, Sticks. It's not right. <laughs> but go ahead.
2: So. We get back up to 300 feet, and we, you know, I do basically a procedure turn, fly. Now we can paint them on the radar, mark their position, and I and I do what's called a catch or a a couple computer aided approach to a controlled hover. They've since now changed that procedure to a patch or precision aided approach to a coupled hover. So that's where basically we let the helicopter fly a procedure down, and it brings us into like a 50 foot hover. Over our target. So, fly over the boat, we mark its position, come back around. You know, we're down, it's sort of like a standard, almost like you're doing an, an NDB approach. So, 30 degrees off of, as I fly over the point that I wanna land at, 30 degrees to the right of, you know, where I'm gonna be intending to land. And I'm gonna fly that leg down to three minutes, start a you know procedure turn coming down to 150 feet on my final approach course. And then about a mile, a mile and a half before the gate, we start flying through some gates where we come through, you know, we're a, basically flying it at like 80 knots, downward down to 70 and 140, you know, 60 and 120, 50 and 100, you know, so the point where we get down pretty much into like, almost like an air taxi at 50 feet, 30 knots, and we still don't find the boat. So cool. back around one more time. And... On this time, we actually decide, okay, you know, for some reason, we didn't think George or the flight management system was doing what it was supposed so that's, to
1: do. George is the autopilot.
2: <clears throat> George is our autopilot. We refer to Thank him you. lovingly yeah. as George, and George is always trying to kill us. And that's pretty much how you fly. So now we're going to do almost the exact same thing, but we're going to fly it manually this time. So... No, we'll take, I take guidance from the computer. So I still am using the FMS, which gives me some command bars that I can follow.
1: Flight management system.
2: Yep. And what we were able to do was just scoot. We managed this time to pick up the wake. And so as we, you know, we follow the wake and we're following the wake in, following the wake in. It seemed like forever. And then I hear the, my aircraft commander, you know, and I'm totally focused on the instruments. I'm at 50 feet and 30 knots. And all of a sudden she goes, target acquired, I have the control. So it's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so now all I have to do is be the safety pilot. And so we get over the boat and and now we're you know we brief up our our survivor or the or the crew and we say okay this is what we're going to be doing we're going to be you know setting you up on this course and we i think we set them up on like a northwester northeasterly course uh,
1: okay can I, let me ask a couple quick questions sure. first so you talked about ndb approach non directional beacon what what were you using as the point the bro wasn't broadcasting anything so
2: right it wasn't broadcasting anything but it's a it what we're using is the rendezvous that point that's calculated from uh, by the, GPS. the computer okay yeah right gotcha okay and have you
1: established radio contact with the boat at this point yes yeah okay but
2: when we first got on scene and got overhead they could hear us you know yeah that was my question (laughs) yeah
1: could they hear (laughs) keep it coming you sound good you're jingling again no okay no (laughs) keep it coming you sound good you'll be fine (laughs) don't hit us (laughs) yeah yeah
2: Yeah, no it's 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 always like you know it's just one of those things, we don't even really think twice about it, but yeah, it took us three attempts to get down to the water. And so we, you know, now we're going to brief the boat up. We're going to tell them, Hey, this is what we're doing. We're going to you know, be putting our swimmer down. He'll make an assessment. And, you know, we're, you know, we're now, we're actually now also in contact with Station Fire Island. So I'm talking with the boat, I'm man- managing what's going on or monitoring what's going on in the, in the helicopter. And then I'm also listening to Station Fire Island as well as Sector. And because my flight mic is now getting ready to do a hoist, I'm now taking the radio guard. So I've, I'm managing like four or five radios, plus managing the. I'm uh, trying to make sure we stay on okay, the one. Okay, okay, so, I got.
0: I got to stop you. I got a couple questions before you go on. Is this a is this a Coast Guard boat that this this victim is on?
2: No, it's actually this is a, a commercial okay. fishing boat. Uh, but we're we're getting ready to rendezvous with a a Coast Guard okay. boat. Got it. Thank you. <laughs> So, so all sorts of different things going on at the same time. It's sort of like spitting plates is the best way to describe it. So, you know, so anyways, we're, you know, we finally get, you know, go through all of our checks and our procedures. We go ahead and we put our swimmer down. Fortunately, sea states really were not that bad, which is why it was kind of so foggy. If we had more wind, we might've, you know, been able to have better visibility, so getting up on the port quarter of the boat, swimmer goes down. We do a, what's called a trail line deployment of the rescue swimmer. So rope gets you know basically dangled down below the helicopter with a weight bag on it. We drop that down onto the port quarter of the boat, and we're actually at about a 35 or 50-foot, anywhere between 35 to 50-foot hover. Usually for a fishing boat, we're probably closer to 50 feet because there's all sorts of rigging and stuff to contend with. That trail line is then attached to the rescue swimmer. You boom the swimmer out, and then they're pulling on that trail line to help guide the swimmer into the boat. And that gives us the ability to stand off just a little bit from the boat so that we can keep better visual. And it, it works out really, really well. So we get the swimmer down. He makes an assessment on this patient, and... You know it's kind of interesting, and it sort of gives you a little bit of foreshadowing on something else that's going to come down later in my life. I get a we get a radio call back from the swimmer who says, "You know, hey, rescue three four, is this rescue swimmer three four? Can I ask the co-pilot or Mister Hall a question?" It, this is totally now non-standard, and uh, the my aircraft commander is like, "Okay." And next thing you know, he starts telling me. He goes, "Hey, Mister Hall, I just like assessed this guy, and he's complaining of really bad back pain. He's like pale, he's diaphoretic. You know, he looks terrible. So I also had worked as a paramedic prior to all this. So he's like, you know, is there? Do you have any other ideas or thoughts on what I should be looking for? So I, I just on a whim, I said, you know, check his blood pressure on the right arm versus his left arm." and there's like a 30 or 40 point difference between the two blood pressures between it the systolic pressure and the diastolic pressure and so i pause for a moment and i sort of look and we're now the the boat is now maybe 3 miles away they they can actually almost start they can certainly hear us and you know they're making their way towards us and i look over at the aircraft commander and i and you know this was kind of rare i look at them i go i don't think we should hoist this guy and they, she looks at me and she goes what i'm like i don't think we should hoist this guy reason being is that i you know that i think this guy has an aortic dissection so or i um, i'm sorry a, yeah an aortic dissection i think he's you know got a tear in his aorta which is causing this back pain and uh, my concern was if we hoisted him that we would the the stress of that hoist would be enough to rupture that and we'd kill him and I so I explain all this, and then the swimmer actually comes back and goes, I, I think Mr. Hall's right. And so we actually now make the decision we're not going to hoist, we're going to move our litter over to the to the boat, and then we're going to bring them in by boat and then transfer them from the boat station by ambulance to the hospital. You know, in in this case, the difference is, is that you really don't want to overstress the patient because it could absolutely kill them. So so there I was, and we decide, well, we're, we've gone all this way to get up here to hoist this guy off the boat. We make the decision we're not going to. So we basically, basically hover taxi behind the boat the whole way up and all the way back to Fire Island. And we, you know, we scud running the whole way. We actually, they have a small Hilo deck. We land there, and I'll send it to you, but I actually found a, I was looking late last night and I actually found a picture of us sitting on deck at, at Fire Island with now the sky is completely clear. Of course it is. <laughs> so, ready to. Exactly. And uh, so the other question is, is, well, was I right? And the answer to the question is yes. Whoa. The guy had the guy had an aortic dissection and the trauma surgeon from I think it was North Shore Medical Center that called us and said, yeah, I think if you guys had hoisted him, you probably would have killed him.
1: Well, well done, sir better to be lucky than good because you weren't a, you weren't a nurse yet
2: no i wasn't had how'd not, you know that but, stuff well that's because i was a paramedic and that's actually uh, that is one of the one of the conditions that we look for as a paramedic are are and i had been a i'd started as an emt and at king's point back in so that was 1990 by that point fast forward to 2001 picked up my medic in 97 i had been a medic for about almost five years at that point well done so, sir. Okay. been around the block enough to have seen a thing or two.
0: So. Well done. So
1: wow. Anyways,
2: all right. Holy shit. So, yeah. very cool.
1: All right. Well, oh, and and the patient survived.
2: Yeah, they actually, he survived. Interesting side note. Apparently, and this is something I did not know at that time, but he, you know, our fishermen aren't always the cleanest individuals, and. Uh, Apparently he made of might have had gonorrhea. Oh,
1: that's (laughs) TMI, there, brother.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that might have increased his risk for. uh, Does that that cause your aorta to get weak? It can. It can cause vascular changes. Well, so well. Okay.
0: All right. Well, so okay. Okay. Repeat. Put that. Lock that to memory. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean. uh,
2: Wrap your oh, package, man. gentlemen.
0: We're at risk. We we just this is a public service announcement to our That's listeners, just in case. Right.
1: PSA <laughs> yes, to all yes. aviators. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. all right. Wrap I want to know
0: about uh, rescue oh, from an car on Skull Kill River Gorge. Oh,
2: on the, on the, on the yeah. Skull Kill River. River. Oh, this one's actually this one's actually pretty funny. So so there it was. We're on we're on duty at the uh, at the air station and. We get a phone call about and it's never it's never really occurs at any good hour, but it's like ten thirty. It's relatively early spring, so there's been you know some he- heavy rains, but on the upside, it's kind of a clear night. so but the in the few days prior to this, we had had some heavy rains. So rivers were actually at high higher levels than where they'd normally be with flow rates that are much higher. And we get a phone call for three people that are stranded on a on a car in the middle of the Schuylkill river. And they give us the position and we plot it, you know, we look at it on a, on a map, not even a nautical chart. Cause it's, there's not even a nautical chart that covers this area. And we realize okay, this is actually, there's like probably 7,500 foot walls on either side of this point of the, uh, of the Schuylkill river. And we're looking at this going, this is a little higher risk than usual. And so we start sort of unusual. mitigating this unusual. Yeah. But we also, then I make a phone call and I go, who else have you asked to go do this? And then this list of other agencies, well, they tried an air medevac. They tried what else? They, they tried in there, or, or New Jersey National Guard, Pennsylvania Guard, state police, all of them declined the mission. So, oh,
0: man. hold on. That, that's, that's kind of a sign, right? We sort of right? talked it. Isn't
2: that a sign? Hey, this yeah, is probably yeah. a bad idea.
1: This is, this is what we call in aviation a clue bird strike. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. So, there's a, there's a sign and then there's, you know, what we should have had a sign put on ourselves like, dumbass. <laughs> so what were you, <laughs> What were you thinking? <laughs> and so we, you know, we decide, okay, well, we're, this is, you know, we come up with a list of things that we can do to help mitigate some of those risks. And, you know, we have NVGs, you know, all of those other agencies don't. We, you know, we can, we're definitely going to plan it out, you know, although we're somewhat limited because we're obviously in a gorge. We got a multi-person aircraft. The majority of those other aircraft that were involved were single pilot. You know, we're also... You know, very capable with hoists. They don't do a whole lot of hoists. You know, to to give you a, a benchmark, after seven years of flying with the Coast Guard, I completed about more than a thousand hoists, you know, or so. I think it was like around eleven 1, hundred. Oh, so, so,
1: and and where was this in that in that continuum of a thousand? Where was this rescue?
2: So again, on this one, I'm also the safety pilot again, but I would probably be still have done probably a, at least two or three hundred hoists by this point. So, okay. Um, so, so, so you
1: you've got you've got it figured out. You know what what's going right. on for the most part. Okay, you got yeah, some experience, and, all right.
2: And if I were to draw, I mean, it's maybe not the same thing because you're not obviously expending ordi- ordinance or anything like that. But you know, for every time you know, for us, boat hoist is probably the equivalent of like a you know shooting off some guns or some weapons from you know from the AVA. You know, yeah, it's, it's your
1: it's your it's it's your mission. It's what you do. Right.
2: Yeah. it's yeah, okay. our Sandbox. So, so we get out there, and then of course, as we're heading out, we decide, finally decide we're going to launch. We're, you know, in route, and we, you know, we brief up the whole situation. We're talking with the fire rescue services on the ground. And, and we're wrapping this, we're you know, wrapping our head around this, going, okay, well, you know, what else do we, you know, what how did we end up in this situation? And the backstory is that this guy who has this amphibious car, it's a convertible, it's called an Amphicar, And he would drive around town and offer to pick up people and then take them for a ride. And then he would go down he would just drive around and then casually drive in towards where a boat ramp is and literally drive into a body of water and then motor around. <laughs> well, every time he'd done this before, he did it in a lake or a pond. And yeah. what you might not know about an amphicar is that it's good for maybe about four or five knots. How fast was the river running?
1: It. <laughs> it, it, it. I'm going. I, I bet the Skoklo River's a little faster than four or five knots.
2: It's a, it's about eleven or twelve knots. So yeah. So next, thing you know, they're going. He's he's he thinks he's picked up these two young ladies that he's going to surprise and take for a ride when he's actually getting taken oh for a my ride. God. So so and he had already called his wife up and told his. This is the other little. The oh, seed that'll plant the wife and the his, girlfriends
1: are about to meet.
2: <laughs> yep. Called his wife up and says, Yeah, and before he had picked these girls up, you know, I'll be home in like an hour. You know, three hours have gone by. And so we get out we get down into this gorge, and actually one of the things we really had to deal with was some vertigo from this. And it it, it affected everybody. And we realized as we were making our approach down into the gorge that our, our smacks or our strobe lights were still on. So, and as we're sitting there and the strobe lights are bouncing off of the walls and then bouncing back up into the rotor system and it completely started to disorient almost everybody in the plane. And, you know, so quickly I kind of just, I don't don't even think I briefed it. I I think I might've, as I was doing it, I might've said it, I I reached up and shut off the smacks (laughs) and then the pilot I was flying with goes, that was a good call. So yeah, I can actually and now I don't feel like I'm standing on right. my head. So it's and that's actually yeah. called flicker vertigo, which is kind of yeah. rare, but you would experience it potentially if you're flying in the goo and you and you had your smacks on and it's you know, especially if it's you know, you know, in your situation where it's gonna reflect back on you, it'll it'll mess you up. So we uh we get over the hoy we get over these people and you know we hoist the two girls first. We put our swimmer down. We're not doing a trail line deployment this time, which was a little bit of a challenge because, you know, we were, we're not sure that they were going to be able to know. We couldn't communicate with them what to do with the rope. So we just sort of decided that would be more of a problem than a, a help. So we put the swimmer down. He comes back up with the two young ladies and then we go back down and we, we get the guy and we bring him up and he you know, so we then go over towards Northeast Philly. You know, what we do, what they do with the car, we're like, yeah, well, that's your problem, not mine. We head up towards Northeast Philly. We drop these people off, and you know, we our op center did a, a good solid and actually managed to get a hold of the girl's parents so that they could get picked up. And. Then the guy calls us, you know, you know, as he's getting out of the helicopter, he looks at us and he's like, do you guys think you could give me a ride back towards, you know, he, he wanted us to give him a ride back towards, you know, South Jersey. No. <laughs> We're like, yeah, nobody. It's like, I'm afraid you're on your own. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and too bad for you. And, and you're going to have to deal with your wife. Cause I don't wow. think she wants to pick you up either.
0: All right. Hey, what, what time, of, what time of day was it? The-
2: so the initial request came in at ten. The planning that we had, by the time we were had sort of worked out, done our risk management approach to this, we we were probably launching is, at about ten fifty or so. Is, outside of outside of PM, the B B thirty window. So.
0: so. So we're talking. Oh yeah, to PM. This okay. is at night. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. That's good times. Yeah.
2: yeah. That's. Yeah, that's because we were trying to avoid, you know, we had, we had NVGs, the other agencies didn't. And so that's sort of how we ended up doing that, uh, doing that case and why I think that got dumped in our lap.
1: So, so. The, how long does the risk management generally take when you get a, or the risk assessment, I should say, when you, when you get a call in, sometimes longer than others, I guess. But
2: So this one was obviously, we claimed an, an exception to this because it's an inland SAR case. And there's more things for us to consider and to have to plan for. In a typical situation, we would, if we're going offshore, you know, we, that risk management process may take place while we're, while we're in route and we'll, you know, we'll talk about, okay, what are we going to do to, to reduce this risk? What are we going to do to fix that? And, and that's sort of where, you know, where that comes into play. And you know we'll set you know hard bingos or you know well sit. sometimes what I like to okay. do is a as an aircraft commander I'd set a window it'd be a go no go point you know do we have the winds do we have the weather do we have enough information because a lot of times as you're flying one of these cases the your your situational awareness is building up as you go along and you know because you're getting more information and how things are going to go and and stuff like that
1: sure so, okay. All right. Well, I wouldn't worry about that. So, you've got uh, we've we've got some notes here about some things we wanted to talk about, and what I'd like to do is sure. talk about. Uh, you you have three simultaneous. Oh, you know what? Let's do it this way. You've got one that's that's really kind of a. It's actually a sad ending. Actually, so I, I hate to do this, but let's talk about that one. Then, then we'll break for a quick ad for our sponsor. And then we'll come back and talk about the one where you had some, a really good outcome. So if, yeah. if you could chat with us about, th- this is a heartbreaker. I know you had a Boy Scout out on a whale watching trip, wasn't it?
2: Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, well, so, there, you know, we were, it's early spring again at, at Air Station Atlantic City. This is actually shortly after I became an aircraft commander. So we're, I'm on the first go or first do and SAR alarm goes off for what's called a PIW a person in the water. And, and so we'd, you know, and then immediately after that, normally that would just be the pipe and we're putting the, you know, and so the announcement and then we're pulling helicopters out, they're fueling it, I'm getting changed into my gear. And we almost never really announced information about what the specifics were, the case were, but our... Well, that's
1: because they don't want you to make your go, no-go decision on that, right? That makes sense. Right. Okay.
2: But but they also want you more just focused on getting yourself ready to go and you'll you're gonna I'm gonna go to the operations center anyways to get the briefing but the the next thing that I hear over the the one MC is that you know it's a fourteen year old boy in the water and uh and it's off of a whale watching boat. I get down to the operations center get the briefing you know, find out basically uh you know, scout was on the boat and he fell off near the bow and he's in the water. One person had from the boat tried to jump into the water to recover him. And in the process, you know, they, they could not stay in the water that long because it was so cold. The field at that point, I took a quick peek at the weather. It didn't look that bad. We were maybe 1100 foot ceiling overcast with you know, maybe three quarters to about a mile of visibility. You know, it's special VFR, but I can, I can definitely do it. And then, so I end up making the call that I'm going to, you know, we're we're going to launch out and we're going to try and do, we have a special VFR route that we fly coming out of Atlantic city. So basically pick up the numbers runway three, one, then you're going to make a heading to this, you know, sort of on a. Southeasterly heading, you're going to be out over the water. You pick up the Atlantic City Expressway, follow the Atlantic City Expressway out until your feet wet, and then you're going to follow the contour of the expressway to get down to, you know, until you can get actual, you know, out over the ocean and out through Atlantic City Inlet. So what happens is we, I get out about the field perimeter and all of a sudden the ceilings are coming down. The ceilings are coming down and I'm now down to like maybe 700 foot ceilings and less than a half mile of it. I'm down to 500 foot, 300 foot. I'm actually at 250 feet and probably less than a quarter mile of it. And so there I'm now realizing I'm painting myself very quickly into a corner and I can't get out. So I managed to make sight, and I think it was either of a cell phone tower or maybe a light stanchion over the expressway. I'm not quite sure. And I quite literally do like this 360-degree turn, quite literally keeping it right off the right wing of the aircraft or the beam of the aircraft. So basically do a 180, come back around, get back, you know, follow the same way that it came back in. And what was surprising going back was it didn't look like it was getting much better. So I was like, oh, shit. So we get back. I actually managed to get it back on deck. And then while I was doing that, my co-pilot was already talking to tower to basically get an an IFR pickup. So basically, you know, we came back in over the numbers runway 3-1. I don't even think we touched down. I was at like maybe 25 feet. And they handed us our IFR clearance just as we got to the numbers. So now, you know, we're climbing up to runway heading and going to head up to 3,000 feet and then make our way basically down towards Cape May. So we're heading down to, to Cape May Wildwood. We pick up the, end up shooting the ILS or the instrument landing approach into Cape May. And that actually brings you out over the water. And so, and then you're approaching the airport, you know, from the Del Bay. And so as we were coming in on the ILS, I think we got down to about 800 feet or so. When we started to break out, we could see the water, the shoreline. So break off the approach, make our way over towards where the, whale watching boat is and start, start doing our search. And that's
0: how, how far off the coast was this boat?
2: So they were, I'm going to say about 23, 24 miles off. They were, you know, <clears throat> oh, sort wow. of almost okay. in the middle, like halfway between the Northern point and the Southern point of the, of the uh, Dell Bay. Okay. So I don't know if you've ever transited the Delaware Bay ferry, but you know, it's, it, it's an interesting experience. So so we're down there, and, you know, we start off with our first search because we have a relatively high area of probability where this where this victim is. So our our datum, which is a, a term that we used, and that's sort of like the reference point about which the whole search is planned. Okay. So we, we've got a pretty highly accurate datum, so we start off with what's called a Victor Sierra search. And the Victor Sierra search is, it almost looks like a, tr- you know, three triangles with the points of each triangle coming in right at the middle and that you know and what you're actually doing is you're going to fly a base course typically into the wind and then you're going to fly three minute legs and you're going to make a turn 120 degrees and you're going to fly another three minute leg and then you're going to make another 120 degree turn to fly back towards datum and then you're going to fly through on that course. You'll make another right turn, 120 degrees, and then fly that three minutes and then fly back again, back towards datum, fly through datum, back outbound for another three minute legs. And and then once you've completed that, you rotate it by 30 degrees and you repeat the process over again. The whole reason of flying a, a Victor Sierra search like this or a vector search is that you have a high... Uh, area of high probability detection. You know, this is where you're most likely going to find your target. And so you want to saturate datum as best you can with as many passes as you can. And we're typically, in this case, I think we flew that pattern at probably 300 feet. And then, so after about three or four different iterations of the, of the Victor Sierra search, we then got tasking from our operation center that we were going to do a creeping line search was the, the next type of search that we were tasked with. That sort of sets us up, sets us up downwind from where the, where the helicopter or where the, where the person went in. And, we're, and also, actually, I'm not going to say downwind, but more set and drift, because it's going to be a combination of both wind and water that are going to be acting on our search target. So they're constantly, our search planners are constantly making adjustments for movement in the, you know, in in our search target. So as time goes by, the area of focus for our search shifts and it's constantly moving and we adjust according to that. So now we're doing, we're set up downwind and we're doing, relatively short legs. I think we were doing three or four mile legs, but the overall search of what we were doing was, you know, so we're doing like three mile legs with like a 12 mile, working our way in 12 miles. So, so that's sort of what we were dealing with. And after we, after we flew that, we then ended up with, what was it? I think we did one more parallel line search and then by that point we were out of gas and and you know heading back and so the coast guard searched for three days for this for this young young boy and, what was the
0: time um, hey what was the time frame that it took you to to do those searches how long were you out there in your so
2: so we were we were we took off with a max bag of gas so we were about it and i actually looked at the first sortie that i flew that day was a, a 2.7 2.8 then the, oh. We swapped crews. The next Bravo crew came out. They flew another 2.5. We flew another 2.5. We swapped one more time. We flew a, a 2.8 or a 2.9, which left us with just like – I we I ended my – or I didn't end that day, but my last my last sortie on that day left me with 7.8 hours. So I was 0.2 hours from becoming a pumpkin. Yeah. Which and he
1: had – oh, go ahead.
2: No, yeah. which in reality means I can actually go out and fly one more sortie.
1: Okay,
2: and and that's how we would sort of if we were getting close to becoming a pumpkin, which our maximum duty day or flight time, I, if I think I'm recalling it right, I think it's eight hours. So. You know, and to be very honest, like being in a helicopter for eight hours is fatiguing. It's very tiring. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the damn thing is beating you up the whole time. Dick. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, so,
1: but bad. his, but so by the time you got out, even to his location, his chances of being alive due to the temperature were pretty low, and probably his chances were zero by the end of your first sortie. It was now just a recovery mission, vice recovery, rescue, yeah. right?
2: Yeah, it yeah, very honest. much was a, uh, that's
1: heartbreaking. A,
2: yeah. And, and I'll, and I'll be honest with you. And this is sort of where, you know, in, in my years in the Coast Guard, um, especially when I was flying, I made a routine, you know, it wasn't a routine, but it, when we brought somebody back, I, you know, would, you inter- I would talk to them, I would a- ask them questions and, you know, and so find out, like, okay, well, what what went right, what didn't go right. And every single one of them to a T said, You, what was it exactly I'm thinking this through? So, like, we flew over them or flew near them at least four or five times before we actually ever located them. Uh, wow. And, <laughs> see, and, and that became such a common theme that I decided I didn't really want to ask those questions anymore.
1: Oh, there you go. Yeah, right. Because how many? How many did you did not bring back that you went right by them, right? Yeah. That's and
2: and that's and that's hard to process, you know. And it's it was one of the things that, in in all honesty, actually had a much greater effect on me than than I ever thought it would. Okay. Um, you know, and it was it's tough, you know. Yeah.
1: Well, let's take a quick minute to thank our sponsors. Come back, uh, we got a couple more upbeat stories, and unfortunately, we have to make this pretty short show, folks, because I've got to go to work. Damn it! Did you know that learning a new language affects more than just your vocabulary? It actually impacts areas of the brain that have nothing to do with language, like visual spatial span. That's important to us pilots. That's right. With Babbel, every time you dive into a lesson, you're not just learning words and phrases you're expanding your cognitive universe. And here's a little secret. This fall you can begin speaking a new language in just 3 weeks with Babbel. Why Babbel, you ask? Well, because it works. While other apps turn learning into a game, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are crafted by over 150 language experts. The aim to help you engage in real conversations in a new language quickly. Let me share a quick story. Recently I found myself in Paris on a trip checking into a hotel. And as a member of their points program, I get a complimentary breakfast. And I can also invite a guest to go to breakfast with me. Well, the clerk was just about to write my voucher when, out of the blue, I said, J'aimerais que mon ami prenne le petit déjeuner avec moi, s'il vous plaît. That's right. I effortlessly asked for my friend to be able to join me for breakfast. And the clerk wrote out the ticket for both of us without batting an eye. Thanks, babble Universities like Yale and Michigan State have conducted studies. And guess what? they continue to show that Babbel simply stands out. For instance, 15 hours on Babbel is akin to a whole semester of language lessons at college. Plus, with over 10 million subscriptions sold, it's evident that Babbel offers real language learning for real conversations. So are you ready to embark on your language journey? Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners to get you started right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash so there I was. Again, that's 55% off at babbel.com slash so there I was, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash so there I was. And remember, rules and restrictions may apply. Happy learning. We're back. So that was a sad case going in there yeah but uh, we uh, we also have a point where you had 3 simultaneous cases as the uh, squadron duty officer not one not two but three i guess that's a lucky number today
2: (laughs) yeah so actually it's so we it wouldn't be it was the sdo but that's actually would be the senior duty officer so basically you know i'm i'm responsible i'm the co's representative and i'm responsible for both b0 aircraft so so we're we're in it's again um, sort of mid to early spring, and we had a pretty severe thunderstorm that came. You know that we were anticipating some thund- thunderstorms on this particular Saturday afternoon, and as we're sitting sitting duty, we're looking at the weather, and it actually fortunately, as far as the airfield went, it went south of us and went all through the Delaware Bay, but of course, in the back of my mind. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is going right through the Del Bay and it's a beautiful spring day. And there's a bunch of people that are going to be out on the water. And quite literally as the storm was sort of, and this was a severe, like we're seeing purple on the, on the next rad <laughs> radar. And even in, there were one nice. or two spots where I pretty nice. certain if I were, you know, I don't think I was imagining it, but it seemed like there were some hook echoes in there as well. So some of the weather conditions that were getting reported to us back from that area were like, you know, 40, 50 mile an hour winds like wind gusts and just, you know, heavy torrential downpouring rain. So we're, I'm watching this blow through the Del Bay. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start listening, you're hearing the, in the comms you're hearing, you know, Mayday is starting to roll in. And we had ended up with three simultaneous cases going on effectively at the same time. In fact, there were, they were getting into distress to the point where they, when they were making their mayday calls, they're stepping on each other in the process of trying to do it. So Me first. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, we actually did have one boat where they said they had taken on so much water, they were about ready to capsize and they were abandoning. We had another boat that said they were completely disabled and being pushed they were concerned they were getting pushed onto the shore or um, getting pushed out out of the bay. Actually, I think is what they had alluded to, and and then we had one where we got an initial mayday from them. We called them back and then we heard nothing more. So, and we didn't have a position with them to work with. So we launch out of we get a, a small boat going out of Cape May and I launch our, our first B zero aircraft out. And I actually am staying back behind because I'm going to fly the next sortie because I'm certain there's going to be another one. First crew gets down there. They go after the people where they knew the boat, their boat was going to overturn. They had two PIW. One boat, that boat actually had completely swamped, but one one guy was managing to hold on to, I think, a seat cushion, and the other one was holding on to a cooler. So the... Stay close the to boat. the beer, folks. <laughs> exactly. yeah. If I'm going to ban ship, I'm bathing with my beer. So the uh, you know, the boat station actually picked up the guy, I believe, who had the seat cushion. The air station got the – or the helicopter got the guy who had the, the cooler. I don't recall – I don't think he brought the cooler back up with him. <laughs> but I, I do have an interesting side story on, on something that I did bring back that I wasn't expecting to. And anyways – The boat, the helicopter then goes over, hoists the other guy off of the Coast Guard boat. They take them over to Cape May, New Jersey, because they're both pretty hypothermic at this point. Now, that helicopter is now, after they had picked up their first two, I made the decision, okay, we're going to launch the second B-Zero helicopter, which is me. So now I'm out looking for, you know, our our primary search target at this point is, is the boat that became disabled. So... And one of the things that when we do these search patterns, so we have, you know, a couple of different types of search patterns, but what's also interesting to know is the track spacing between each of those legs. And that is predicated upon the size of the search target that we're looking for. So for example, if I'm looking for a PIW or a person in the water, that's about the size of a basketball floating in the water. You know, I'm going to be using a 0.1 track spacing or about 600 feet between each leg. So, you have to imagine it's actually insanely tight you know it's if you looked at plotted yeah. that on a on a chart or looked at it on a map, that is really really tight track space yeah. so you can 't even nav up the helicopter to do it. I always did it with heading select and then would actually this way I could line up on each of the waypoints and stay on each leg. But in this case, we're looking for a boat, so I've actually got quarter-mile track spacing, so it's a little bit better, and I know I can work through it a little bit quicker. So, like, we get through about three creeping line searches, you know, working our way up, and I'm now it's actually getting close to being dark. We're, you know, sort of into that nautical twilight phase. I've got, like, a, you know, a few extra – a few hundred pounds of gas left, and – I check in with the ops and they gave me, they said, okay, well, you can RTB refuel and plan on, you know, the other aircrafts getting ready to go out. So they were going to be relieving us on scene. So I check back and I say, hey, can I do like a quick shoreline search? And they said, yeah, if you got the gas, go for it. So I knew that the winds were blowing a little bit harder than what we had initially been anticipating. And so as I'm going along the shoreline search or going along to do this shoreline search, and I'm actually a little bit further outside of our projected search area. And as I was going along, I, you know, happened to look over, you know, we're at 300 feet over the water. We've got actually our our night sun on and just, you know, the smallest little glimpse off to the left. And I'm looking outside out at the end of this jetty and part of the jetty is awash with water, but I see what looks like a, I think is a boat. And sure enough, I, you know, then make my way out to the end of the jetty. They're sitting on the end of the jetty with their boat up on the jetty are three people sort of all clumped together. So, you know, obviously, uh, go ahead. and and Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, and at this point I'm short on gas, (laughs) I'm really short on gas. You know, I don't have enough to make it back to, I don't think I had enough to make it back to Atlantic City, but I did, I I then reset our destination to Cape May, which then gave me an extra 10 or 15 minutes of gas to work with. So we, you know, got all three back on board and, you know, know, so three lives saved and it was just sort of, it was kind of weird. I don't know what told me to go and do that shoreline search, but something, you know, I was like, you know, I just, I feel like we need to go and look in that area and uh, wow, dumb luck, you know.
1: Nicely so, done, indeed.
0: Well done. All right, I have a question. Sure. I have a question for you, Sticks. For for our non-aviator listeners, you, when you were, in the beginning of this story, talked about, you were talking about the weather, and you were talking right. about hook echoes. What is the significance so a of a hook echo? A hook echo, echo
2: is actually, it's, it's, like, it's indicated, indicative of cyclonic movement, so typically we're, it's associated with a tornado.
1: Yeah, just terrifying. So. Thank you. <laughs> which is
0: yeah, bad. We don't want Which that. is bad, yeah, especially no, no if you're no flying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Man, no kidding. Well, we need to find All one right. to close out with. Jeez. Maybe a, what do you think? You got a short emergency room story? We got about three minutes for it. We need to wrap up.
2: Okay. <clears throat> so yeah, actually, so I fast forward a little bit. I actually uh, had worked in the emergency room as a, as an ER nurse for a number of years. We get a, And I, I now work as a nurse practitioner, but so, I'm in the emergency room and it's it's one of these insane nights where it's super super busy. And I got this gentleman who comes in complaining of chest pain. So he gets basically a six-hour cardiac workup. So we run a set of cardiac enzymes, an EKG, a chest x-ray. You know, basically, bottom line is, is we're trying to rule out that he's had a he's having a heart attack or anything like that. So and he's sitting there with me for almost seven and a half hours by the time it's all said and done. So I've got his discharge paperwork, and I go in, I, I go in to talk to him. And, you know, his lab work is clean. His, you know, direction is going to be, go follow up with your primary care provider. And as I'm sitting there talking to him, he goes, oh, well, by the way. Uh-oh, um, here
0: comes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: By the way, I have a can of mousse stuck up my butt. To which I'm like, no, you don't. And he's like, oh, no, I can't, can, can as, as, in, in, hair, as hair mousse, in hair mousse, product? as in hair product. <laughs> to hold I, the antlers. No. no. So no. yeah, no, uh, uh, no, no. I, I am not, I am not <laughs> shitting you at all, and he wasn't shitting me either because he couldn't shit. But. <laughs> and. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, and I'm like saying to myself, "I'm sorry, you don't sit in an emergency room for almost seven and a half to eight hours." To. Then say, by the way, I have... Sticks,
1: he forgot. He forgot. It's an honest mistake.
2: mistake. I I overlooked this little fact. So I I call his bluff, okay? So I order an x-ray of his abdomen, because I don't believe him, and so you have to understand the physician i was working with that night actually had a rather unique signature that really looked nothing more than like a almost a line on a piece of paper so that you could potentially put an order in if you needed to and you weren't you know he wasn't immediately available so he orders and as a as a registered nurse at this point i couldn't necessarily order my own chest x-ray or my own x-rays but in either case this doctor with ex- exceptional foresight and not even having laid eyeballs on the patient made the, the
0: doctor order yeah, yeah, the x-ray exactly
2: <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I didn't break any rules here. And I'm looking at the x-ray and sure, there, there is something there. He, he's he got a suit, something up in there. And I'm looking at this x-ray and the doc comes around the corner and looks at the x-ray as well. He's like, what the hell is that? And I'm like, well, you know, Dr. So-and-so, <laughs> you're, because of your absolute exceptional insight, when this gentleman said he had something up his rectum, you may, you had the good measure to order a KUB. <laughs> And he's like, "No, I didn't. Oh no, you did." And he looks at me and he goes, "Damn it!" And it's like, "It's okay. I, I already paid surgery." <laughs> so. Wow! So, so, so surgically removed. So obviously, yeah, yeah. Wow! Wow! And no, and that's that is, but a a, a drop in the bucket of
1: well we're gonna have you back for more of that absolutely because there's a lot more stuff we need to chat about sadly we need to we need to wrap it up here tonight or this morning or whatever time it is unfortunately but uh well Does
2: anybody really know what time it right, is. Exactly. but you know what i got i got one quick challenge that I, or one quick thing i want to throw out there for us so with both of you guys being in the marine corps um if you've been listening to the show uh, with Christmas coming up um, do us a favor get a picture of you with your toy um, dropping that off uh, with the Toys for Todd's program yeah there you go great awesome man we will post that up to our Facebook page
1: thank you and thank you for your service I love that idea that's a great idea indeed thank you for your service yeah thank you appreciate that and um Also, want to uh, thank our our friend Dave Hamilton over at Backbeat Media, online at backbeatmedia.com. He uh, helps us with our advertising. Dave has some shows to go listen to the Mac Geek Gab, the Gig Gab, and the Business Brain. Um, Who's running our uh, Facebook page there, Big? That's
0: Chase. That's Chase Cole.
1: He's doing and, a fantastic job. Uh, I want to say
0: job. thank you to Chase for take care of all
1: that for us. Indeed, and thank you, Sticks, for all your background help, and Brad Silkout over at BDSAviationPhotography.com for the use of so many images. He puts a lot of, of them on our Facebook page at Facebook.com dot slash us. Go look for it there in our group. So there I was. Um, got a new page up this week. If you go to was dot us slash rate or slash review, your choice. Remember one of those two words. After the slash, you can give us a five-star review. Not four, not three, but five. Make it so.
0: Five, baby, five.
1: Yeah send us pictures of where you listen to the show and more importantly than anything else share share the show, share the show. you gotta go do it share the show. um we gotta share the show. yeah and we got a couple of folks that uh, we'll get them in the intro as well but i want to say here thank you on the outro thank you to patrick miller and Peter Simon we talked about them last week we didn't get them in the intro we'll get them in the intro also thank you to Chris Adams who sent us some money back in September and I just found it this week so a humble apologies for that he was an air cav pilot back in the 80s and uh, we're going to chat with him a little bit I think soon Uh, and also thank you Chris and David Olson a former Harrier dude himself knows many of our guests already and we got a new division leader this week by the name of Gary Falstaff so thank you very much oh and what's new on the store got something new on the merch store it's so there was merch hoodies got the hoodies got a hoodie got the hoodies so alright everybody in the in the meantime until next week in honor of sticks being here don't let go of the collective
0: don't let go of it don't let go of it don't do it there I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fond of all the shit I was wearing all that day. Now an F 16 is cramped enough, but it's even worse with all that stuff supposed to save your life. But we knew there was no way. Because when you're going down the North Atlantic, man, it's over. <laughs> oh man, what do you say? <laughs> He said it's over.
2: It's over. (laughs)